Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Corne finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. And the finish of the near post from Lucas Baqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Fire again. A goal Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome along to the final edition of Le Beaujeu of 2021. There is still one round of games to play in France. We look ahead to a busy Wednesday night in Ligue 1 Uber Eats. There's reaction from the Coupe de France, which as ever produced some incredible stories over the weekend. We have an exclusive chat with Lyon's World Cup winning defender Jérôme Boateng and we'll be getting the New Year's resolutions from every single member of the podcast team. Thank you so much for all of your loyalty, everybody, throughout the uh, the past year. A quick reminder that you can subscribe to the official League and Uber Eats podcast. Do take a moment to register and uh, the technology will then do the rest for you. Keeping you up to speed with all of the podcasts, interviews and bonus editions coming up on Le Bourge. Um, I'm delighted this morning to uh, to welcome alongside me uh, a debutant on Le Bourge, Robin Berner. Robin is... Um, a, a Ligue 1 expert, freelance journalist based in Scotland, and it's great to have you on. How are you doing, Robin? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Great to welcome somebody from Scotland and somebody from Australia, an old favourite. Um, remember, you might remember the name, Robbie Thompson. How are you, Robbie? Very well, thank you, Matt. Pleasure to be here. You have to be very good with your pronunciations, okay? Because there's Robbie and Robin, and you can't... You Robbie and Robin. Yeah. But just be careful. It, it could be tricky. Robbie, Robbie has uh, agreed to come on... Uh, on the condition he doesn't mention cricket. We're not talking about the Ashes. Um, it's been a tough few days, a few weeks even. So we're going to be focusing very much on French football, um, where there was a lot of competitive action, much more competitive than the uh, than the cricket at the weekend. We had the uh, uh, last 64 of the Coupe de France. And uh, this competition, you know, sometimes I... I, I I look at the fixtures and think, oh, there's not going to be much doing this weekend, is it? But it just throws up incredible drama. We had uh, two massive upsets. Bergerac from southwest France beating uh, top flight Metz on penalties. Bergerac, who are playing in National 2, which is the fifth tier. Uh, an amateur side, Pierre Laborde, uh, managed to uh, make a penalty save from Papsar, the Mets midfielder on loan from Tottenham. And Mets crashed out. Angers, currently ninth in Ligue 1, they lost to sixth-tier opponents, Linas Monterey, who were from the uh, the Paris suburbs. Pascal Leno scored both goals for Linas Monterey. Uh, Paul Bernardoni, the uh, Angers goalkeeper, couldn't keep uh, those goals out. He was playing against the, uh, the team where he uh, first started his career in the Paris suburbs. I mean, amazing, amazing stuff. I was listening on the radio when Dinon Leon were, were were playing Mets. That went, sorry, were playing Brest. That went to penalties. Um, Brest won 13-12 on penalties. It was unbelievable drama. I, I heard uh, the um, goalkeeper Gauthier Larsener managed to uh, sky his penalty. The um, Dinon goalkeeper hit the crossbar, but in the end, Duvern scored his second penalty of the shootout. Um, brilliant stuff. Robbie, uh, uh, I'll bring you in. Um, any any of that action catch catch your eye? Did you manage to enjoy the Coupe de France from Australia? I did manage to. Well, there were there were it was a, 
an interesting weekend. There was some spectacular football action. I saw PSG's game, which for, for me was just earlier this morning. I got up early and, and watched that one here, here down under, a fairly straightforward win for PSG, but I'm sure we'll get to them uh, later. Otherwise, I've just been catching up with the results, and there are a few names and a few clubs there that uh, ring bells because obviously England isn't the only country that can have cup magic, and every year, as you say, Matt, the Coupe de France throws up a whole lot of it as well. There are some, some names there that I recognise, including Linus Monlery, who you say from sixth division, PSG played them two years ago in the cup as well, down in the south of France, uh, in the south of Paris, and I commentated that game. I saw that Andrézieux are still there doing well. Um, it's just great to see that. And I remember talking to players and talking to some players in France and they they saying it's a lot harder to play a, a fourth or fifth division side in France than it is to play a fourth or fifth, fifth division side in Spain or Italy just because physically there are differences, but they are so tactically organised, so disciplined, so they know how to hold on to a result, even when they're you know, working in a boulangerie or an electrician or a bank during the day and training three times a, a, a week in the evenings, these sides low down in the divisions can force you all the way, do know how to play football. Yeah, Robbie, I mean, you, you, you talked about England because we talk about the magic of the FA Cup and I think all of us were at a certain age where you know, we grew up talking about or listening to, to stories about the magic of the FA Cup. But actually, um, we, you don't get this kind of upset any, anymore, really, in, 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 in England. The, the Premier League clubs are all financially so, so strong. It's, 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 it's incredibly different. And the Coupe de France has kept it. It's, it, it's kept this magic. And uh, you talked about André Zure. They, they beat Marseille, didn't they, mm-hmm. a couple of years yeah. ago? Yeah. Marseille last year, they lost to Canet-Roussillon. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, they were playing Canet-Rocheville who were a sixth division side, and they went ahead. The amateurs went ahead at the Velodrome, um, ended up losing 4-1, though. Milik uh, got, got a hat-trick for Marseille. Um, but just before honestly, I bring Matt, you in, Robin... Matt, yeah. I don't think it's just the fact that there's a big difference financially. I think there's a f- huge financial difference between some league and clubs and these clubs as well. But I really think it's a French mentality thing of when these guys play football down in the fifth division, they, they study it and they, they, they really look to to make life difficult for a professional club. They don't get carried away. It's like they don't get nervous or carried away by the moment or the, the, the magic of the cup themselves. They're in it to, to do their best. It really is a, a strong mentality they have. Just, uh, yeah, the last result that I'll read out. Bordeaux, 10, uh, <laughs> Jumeau de Muzuazia, nil. That was a, it was a, that was a tough afternoon for the uh, players who flew all the way over from Mayotte, from the island of Mayotte, 10,000 kilometers they came to lose 10-0 to concede four goals to M by Nyong. Uh, Robin, that was a bit of a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, but I mean, we're talking about the magic of the Coupe de France and, um, you know, that's one of the great things about it. It's effectively a worldwide competition because uh, the, 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 the French FA has such a, a wide-ranging uh, jurisdiction and, and that's just... Um, Obviously, it's going to be a day that these guys are going to remember. It's um, it's a heavy result for them to take, but you know, um, it's going to be a great experience for them to have come over and and played these professionals and um, really tested themselves against such a such a strong offensive team. Yeah, and I tell you what, Bordeaux uh, could uh, really could could have done with that. I think the ten nil win is 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 going to help them looking forward because they've 
they've been struggling. Probably the the opponents that they need. Another team that really I thought needed... you were going to say they could have had twenty. <laughs> they could have had twenty. No, that, I think they'll they'll be happy. They'll be happy with ten uh, this time. But I was going to say another big club who who needed a victory, needed a Philip, uh, were Leon. Um, they had what was actually a really interesting first half against Paris FC at uh, Charletti Stadium on, on Friday night. Moussa Dembele managed to, to get them back in the contest at 1-1. This was shaping up into a good game before we witnessed some, uh, some dreadful scenes um, of uh, crowd disturbances. Uh, dozens, I wouldn't say hundreds, Matt, you know, but you know, a lot of supporters rampaging through the stands. And uh, sadly, uh, you know, this is, I wouldn't say a feature. We're not seeing this every weekend, but crowd disturbances certainly have become a feature of the uh, of the French season. There is obviously a big investigation going on into how that happened and who the perpetrators were. Um, but I mean, Robin, this is you know it, this is bad, uh, obviously for for French football. This is something that needs to be stamped out. And I'm just wondering, you know, over, over in Scotland, over over in the UK, how does this sort of thing uh, get viewed, and does it get much or or, or any coverage? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of these incidents that the tabloids are, are quick to pick up on. Um, you know, they're not so quick to pick up on, on the positive things, but this is obviously a dramatic incident that uh, has caused the, the, the match to be abandoned at halftime. Um, and it's, it's you, you know, in terms of the visually, it was quite spectacular and, and it was on TV, everybody's seen it. Um, so although it wasn't televised live here, it's one of these things that can go viral very quickly and uh, it definitely drags the reputation of of the the league and the football down, uh, particularly because it's not the first time that it's happened this season. And there's been other high profile incidents, notably involving Marseille, that um, that have had similar coverage across here. So yeah, it's it's definitely negative in in terms of what it's doing for the reputation of the football and um, and the league as a whole. Yeah, it, it almost reminded me. We talked about the Magic of the Cup. I mean, back in the seventies and eighties, there was you know just horrible scenes in in English football, and it was a little bit reminiscent of that. Just seeing hordes of people running and uh, you know throwing things, throwing punches. Um, Robbie, it's 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 got to be weeded out. I mean, it's not the first time Leon uh, were involved. I was reading reports yesterday suggesting that. A lot of the supporters involved, a lot of the perpetrators were from a, a, a fan group that are known to Olympique Lyonnais, that are uh, allegedly made up essentially of right-wing uh, uh, extremists. Reports in L'Equipe newspaper this morning coming from uh, uh, police information that Paris Saint-Germain supporters may have uh, got got involved in uh, in some way in in the violence. But I mean, looking ahead to 2022, this, you know, this has got to be a priority, Robbie, for the for the authorities, hasn't it? Well, on so many levels, Matt, it has to be a priority. And I think, you know, I'm a I'm a firm believer and, and a firm lover of, of football fans and a firm lover of the sport. And I think it's fantastic when you can have ultras in a stadium. Ultras, are, they vehicle very strong values. Um, they have very strong identities for their team. They feel like they they are the ones that, that carry, you know, the the portents of their side, the soul of their club. They're the ones that defend it. They feel that now more than ever in this this modern business football model that everyone runs. They're in in many respects, I think football fans and the ultras are almost in some respects against their own clubs as well. They go to these matches to defend what some idealism, some ideal of of what the club 
used to be or should be or means to them and means to their community. And I say right from the start, the scenes that we saw, that we've seen throughout this season um, and the violence that you see inside a stadium and what we saw on Friday night, again, there's no place for it. You can't, you can't have it. But I, what I would like and what I would like is for people to, to try and understand better why this happens. Why do they behave like this and, and look for solutions from that way instead? Because I get the feeling now after two years of COVID and then welcoming them back, and particularly in France, where it's very difficult if you're an away fan to travel, if you get treated, if we treat these ultras like wild animals, then they're going to act more and more like wild animals, just as a point of principle to say, you know, this is unacceptable and we need to fight against it. And it's like you're in a downward spiral and in a vicious circle that, you know, what we saw on Friday night of, of Leon fans or whoever they were throwing flares into packed stands of, of families that were there to see a, a second division side against one of the greats of French football is completely unacceptable, horrific to see, and there is no place for it. But I'd like, honestly, French authorities to try and find out why. I'm not sure England, you talk about England in the 70s and 80s, how they did it is a solution because I think there's, a, there's an absence of, of soul in a few grounds around England now. Perhaps let's try and see how Germany have done it because Germany had a hooligan problem. Belgium had, had problems. The Netherlands had problems, but That's they the still thing. have but these Rob- fans that are there in the grounds. So how do, how I do know, they and, do it? I know. And you, you, you talk about the ultras, and I think the ultras are you know, 90% positive in terms of the, uh, uh, the input they have on, on French football and, and, and the atmospheres. And I think we probably do have to separate. I'm not saying it was a minority or we need to get rid of the minority, but the people who were at Charletti on Friday, um, you know, that was sort of uh, predetermined. They, they, they were people going there to be yeah. violent and, and to cause problems. And I now, agree. The, 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 why did they choose to do it there then? Why didn't they meet in a park or something? If they just wanted to... to I don't know, but the person, who, the person who threw a bottle and hit Dimitri Payet um, was a fool mm-hmm. and was in among the Leon Ultras, but the Leon Ultras were, were furious. I, and, and again, I'm not trying to make excuses or whatever, but... And he wasn't the only person throwing things on. No, but it's a um, very different issue to what but we I think saw it's different. I, 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 I agree. Yeah, I, agree. I, I think it's different. Robin... In a few words, what's the answer? I'm sure you've got all the answers. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have any answers at the moment. Um, I mean, much like Robbie, I, I really enjoy that the fact that the French League on stadiums are generally vibrant places and, are, 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 you know, they're exciting places to watch football in general. And certainly the ultra groups do have a major part to play in that. And like you said, 90% of the time it's positive. But when you've got, if, if these allegations that the PSG ultras were Infiltrating the, the infiltrating into the Leon fans, you're right. I mean, how do you stop somebody that's just just there to cause trouble? Um, it's, it's clearly difficult, and I think the issues stretch further than football. I mean, I think we're talking societal issues here as well. Um, so I, I'm not entirely sure what the issue is. I mean, or I'm not entirely sure what the answer is. Sorry, that's um, all right. It, 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 it was asking a lot to, to to get you on on your on your podcast uh, <laughs> debut to come and to solve, solve all, all the, the ills <laughs> in the French game. That that I'll try better for next time. I will agree with you, Robin. Though that I that I think it is a society issue, and I think we see it in all forms of society as well. And it's just that this is a a highly focalized, concentrated, pressurized 
environment as well where you see it come out. But I think it, it happens in other sporting areas. I think it happens in day-to-day life. I think it happens in pubs. I think it happens. I don't think it's any yeah, I think that it's happened after lockdowns and you know people no. being mentally stressed after COVID and whatever like that. Um, I don't think yeah, that's a coincidence yeah. at all. No, absolutely. I, w- I was going to say, I think there's a lot of anger in, in, in society in France and in a lot of countries. And, you know, sadly for us French football lovers, it's being manifested in, you know, in, in the football stadiums in France. And I think it's different in, in, in different places. But it's, yeah, it, it, what is a shame as well? I mean, obviously, it would be a shame for the, this violence to happen at any time. But it has been such a brilliant season from a, from a football point of view. And it is tarnishing, unfortunately, um, that to, uh, to, to, to some extent. Let's just quickly go through some of the big games that have been um, drawn because we've, we've had the draw for the last 32 now of the Coupe de France. It feels to me, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know, it feels to me like the draw just kind of throws up a lot of romantic fixtures as well. We've got some heavyweight clashes. We've got Lens against Lille, which is an amazingly uh, big match to get at, you know, at this stage of the competition, the Northern Derby. Uh, we've got some other potential top flight fixtures if Leon managed to get through when their game if their game is replayed uh, they'll play against Nice um, Montpellier against Strasbourg otherwise you've got some uh, fascinating ties like US Chauvigny of uh, the sixth tier against Olympique de Marseille uh, Paris Saint-Germain are playing Van, who have uh, been noted for their cup runs in the past so yeah some cracking games Bergerac have been rewarded with a glamour tie against uh, Créteil uh, Linas Montlery, another glamour tie against Amiens. So perhaps not the uh, the ones that they were hoping for, but yeah, it should be should be interesting, and uh, we'll we'll keep our eyes on the Coupe de France. But I do want to stay on Lyon because I, I feel like it's a really big time for Lyon at the moment. They are really struggling. They've had that one point uh, penalty uh, following the crowd trouble against Marseille. They have um, they've dropped to thirteenth. In the standings, their coach Peter Boss, who came in with so much positive talk, and um, there was so much excitement surrounding his his arrival. He is under fire. They play at home against Mets um, this Wednesday night, and uh, Robbie, the, the the pressure's on. If Leon slip up against Mets, if they were to lose, for example, and Mets, by the way, uh, they did lose to amateur opposition at the weekend, but their last league game they beat Lorient four one, so they've, they've got goals in them. Um, you know, you wonder if Peter Boss will keep his job over the Christmas period. There is huge pressure on him now. I've, I'm surprised because when I left uh, France in, in early November, Leon, we were thinking, you know, they were, they were inconsistent, but I think there was still a feeling that they were going to take the right turn. Instead, they took the wrong turn somewhere along the line there. They're, they have really struggled. I find it's incredible to see them down in 13th place. The only thing I will say is that there aren't that many points between them and second place Marseille. What is it, nine points? Between second place Marseille and 13th Lyon? I mean, that's incredible. It is very, very tight. And a couple of bad results, even a couple of draws, can see you lose five, six places on on the standings. But yeah, look, it's not acceptable for Olympic Lyonnais. Um, What it tells me, Matt, with Janinho saying, look, this isn't for me. Um, I, I want to leave because I actually want to be a coach. I don't want to be a sporting director. Um, Olas, the crowd trouble that seems to not only on this occasion, but has been a, a recurrent theme for Olympic Lyonnais as well. Like you say, the, the, the point deduction, it's more of a global package. I think it would be unfair 
to point the finger at, at Peter Bosch. I think this is a side that missed out on Champions League football last year. Memphis stayed to try and get them back in. It didn't happen. He's gone. They still have quality players, but look, he's under pressure, no doubt. Um, maybe it was Janinho that stood down instead of Peter Bosch. Do you think Janinho decided to fall on his sword there instead of and, and save the coach because Listen, he saw yeah. something good there? Rob, let's talk about uh, Janinho in a sec. I want to bring in uh, Jerome Boateng because I had the opportunity to to speak to the former Bayern Munich defender. He was one of the experienced names who came in in the summer. And uh, we talked about Peter Boss. We talked about um, the influence Boss had on Jerome Boateng. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a big coup to, to, to bring a World Cup winner, albeit at 33 years of age, uh, to Leon. And he talked about um, Peter Boss and, and the kind of football that this trainer uh, wants his teams to play. Peter Boss, important as well in the decision? Yeah, of course he was very important. I knew him from Leverkusen. Um, I only heard good things about him. And then when I talked on the phone with him and we had conversations, um, I liked the idea how he plays and how he sees football. So that fits my um, how I play the game at Bayern. He's a coach who likes his teams to, to attack, to play attractive football. Yes. Could you tell us a bit more about what, what he tells you, the players, how he wants you to play? Well, exactly like that. Um, be confident. We want to press high and play offense football. We like to have the ball, of course, if we lose it, to get it back quick. That's his philosophy. And I think the team is progressing, it's learning, it's new for them. A lot of young players, great players with great potential. And I think is, uh, the goal is to be more constantly uh, in the season, to not have like good games, bad games, good games, bad games. So we try to work on that and I'm here to help the younger players. But also, of course, I want to bring my best on the pitch. Yeah, so Jerome Boateng, interesting on, on, on Peter Boss, who's obviously a, a well-known coach from his time in, in, in the Bundesliga. And we have seen signs, Robin, of that high intensity, the, 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 the high press, the, the attacking football. But um, we've only seen glimpses, haven't we? And ultimately, Leon have, uh, have, have sort of struggled to score goals freely and to, to, to impose their game on teams. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that Leon or been one of the most diffi- uh, disappointing teams in the league on this season. Um, there was so much expected of the team under Boss. And, you know, I think he's got a bit of a difficult job there in terms of, you know, Leon. Leon's a club that haven't won a trophy in 10 years now, I think it is. Uh, but at the same time, the fans want instant success um, and the demands are greater than, I'd say, a, a Lille or a Nice. Um, sort of one of the middle ranking, one of you, the clubs you'd think would be sort of middle ranking. Um, and I guess with every season that goes past and the longer that Leon go without winning a trophy, that, that expectation and the pressure on the coach gets higher. And you always get a feeling there that uh, Jean-Michel Ola still wants Leon to be challenging PSG in terms of winning Ligue 1. Um, and, you know, quite simply, if, if, if Leon are going to get back to that level, they need an overarching plan and they need a long-term strategy. And I think Peter Boss can potentially bring that to them. Um, but what they need is time, and I, I think um, when Boss went in there in the summer, you know, you hear things about uh, the, the players not being necessarily what he wants in terms of uh, the, the tools he wants to implement his game. And I think if if Leon are going to genuinely make a run at becoming, you know, a major club in France again, they need to to an identity, and 
they need a complete change of ideas and you know boss kind of represents that and if he's going to implement it he'll need a lot of time to 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 do that and you know six months isn't a lot of time no and i think you know with janino leaving janino stepping down um over over christmas it's going to be fascinating to see who 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 comes in to replace him um Robbie, you you mentioned Janino. I mean, it's been it's been a disaster. It's been a disaster. He's come in. He's been the sporting director um, for the last couple of seasons. He gave an interview in the summer uh, where he basically revealed a lot about his dreadful relationship with Rudy Garcia. Um, it seems his relationship was 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 better with with Peter Boss, who is perhaps a less confronta- confrontational sort of a sort of a manager, but. He's not cut out for sporting director, is he? I mean, it's one of those where he's come in. I don't think he's qualified for the job. He's got a huge amount of goodwill, probably the greatest player the football club has ever had, certainly the uh, the standout player during their glory period. Um, and it was sad, I think, to see it because quite early in Janino's uh, tenure, you saw John michel Olas who said, oh, I'm, I'm old now, I'm taking a back seat. You saw him sort of stepping forward and Janino wasn't allowed to talk and Olas was talking all the time. And it, it just felt a little bit like... Um, Janino was being treated as a as a bit of a junior figure, and it, it was never going to work, was it? No, that's the well. It's easy to say that now with hindsight, but yeah, I get the feeling it was just a complete mismatch, and it is sad. I think that's the the overwhelming thing. And I think, to be fair, I ha- I don't always see eye to eye with Michelle Olas, and a lot of the time I even cringe when when he comes out and tweets and says things. But I I thought he showed a lot of class with Janino saying, look, he just. He will always be welcome here. We'd love to have him back as a coach. He's a he's a legend of the club. And That's this, the least he can say, isn't it? Of course, but no, but you're, it's Janino. You're, he's leaving exactly, but he's he should, just he should a have a he should have a statue. Three coaches, but he did bring. I mean, Luis Paqueta is him. This is Lucas. Lucas. So so that's a that's an important uh, decision that he brought in. I mean, he's shown glimpses. But yeah, in terms of communication, in terms of having the shoulders to 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 carry a football club, a big football club, because Robin said if they they are a, I think they remain a big football club in in France. They have that stadium, which you know not many clubs in France can say we have a big brand new stadium as well. And look, for me, it's sad Nino didn't didn't do the business, but it's clear that he he could not do the business. Whether it's negotiating, whether it's making tough decisions, whether it's imposing himself, it's not his role. And it was difficult to know how much say he was having in the um, in the transfer dealings. That, that there was a clear plan this summer to bring in experience. Um, Leon, we know they've got some terrific young players. They've struggled for consistency. There's there's talk that the culture isn't right in the club because um, you know they can turn it on in the big games and then they'll go and lose to to Rams or, or or Mets or whatever. And the idea was bringing in Boateng, bringing in Shakiri, bringing in Emerson uh, from Chelsea as well. That you know these guys would uh, sort of help the youngsters to uh, to maintain that focus. Um, I'll bring Jerome Boateng in again because I asked him about his role and uh, um, off the pitch as well as on it and about just how he keeps that. That mentality, you know, at, at his age, at 33 years of age, he's won nine Bundesliga titles, two Champions Leagues, one World Cup. Um, and this is this is this is what he had to say. He told me uh, that he is still very, very hungry for more silverware. Just to talk about yourself and the art of defending, you've managed to stay at the you know very top of, of your profession for a, for a very long time. 
how do you do that and how do you how do you keep your hunger and, and, and remain in the hunt for trophies? Yeah, I think every player is different. For me, it's since I'm really like a young player, one thing I think is really important with me, I hate to lose. Really, I'm really a bad loser. I hate it. And I think it's important to be um, always motivate yourself to get better and even learn from defeats. It's difficult, but when you um, a day after or something, you have to look clear at it. What did you do good? What did you do wrong? What can I do better? And before a season, I always set my own goals, what I want to achieve in the season and with the team. And yeah, I think a big thing for me is that I'm never like, oh, we won this title or this title now. I don't have to do anything anymore. And I think this is a, a big part of my mentality. Well, Robin, he, you know, he is a winner. There's absolutely no question about that. He's had uh, an incredible career, Jerome Boateng. Um, what have you made of him so far? You know, he, he has had some some shaky performances. Do you think his his signing, you know, has been a successful one so far? So far, you can tell from Leon's league position that he's not brought, and, and the, the other players that they brought in in the summer haven't brought what Leon wanted into the team Um Boateng has, to me, has looked a little bit, like you say, he's looked a bit shaky. It, it almost looks like he's uh, come into to Leon and, and maybe thought it'd be a little bit easier than it would be. Um, uh, almost like he's, he's he's not treated Leon with the respect that perhaps it deserves. Maybe that's a little bit harsh on him. Um, but you know, when you when you have a player that's dropped down from a club like uh, Bayern Munich and had such a such a strong history. You know, you expect him to come in, to come into a team and become an instant leader, and that's not happened. Perhaps that's a little bit harsh, given that he's he's experiencing a whole new league and a new team. Um, but like, but like you had meant, but like he had mentioned earlier, um, you know, Peter Boss plays the kind of football that he's used to playing, and um, it was expected he'd be a figurehead for Leon, and he's he's never never quite lived up to that yet. But you know. Four four months in isn't a long time, so it's, it's perhaps too early to judge him seriously. You're listening to Robin Berner on uh, Le Bourgeois. Follow Robin uh, on Twitter, at rberner. Um, and follow follow us. Uh, subscribe to us. Subscribe to Le Bourgeois on all of the different uh, podcast platforms. It's uh, it's uh, it's very much an advantage. You will get the uh, the alerts when a, when a new pod falls. Robbie. I just wanted to say before we move on from Leon, I have a I had a funny moment commentating on the weekend. Um, here, speaking of like uh, my Lucas Paqueta name name call uh, earlier in the pod, I was commentating the Macarthur Bulls in action uh, last week, who are a, a local Sydney team here, and they have a very talented midfielder called Daniel De Silva. And in commentary last week, I called him Damien De Silva. Jerem Boateng's uh, counterpart at the back for Olympic Lyonnais. So old habits die hard, even in a, <laughs> in a new job on the other side of the world. I had someone writing, scribbling on a thing, Daniel, Daniel. And I went, and I was thinking, well, what did I say? Damien de Silva. Oh, God. Well, at least you didn't call him Dam Damien. At least you, you, know, you, you anglicised exactly. anglicized it. Well, it's going to be, yeah, it could be tense at the Group Armour Stadium on, on Wednesday evening. The atmosphere around the club isn't uh, particularly... Uh, tranquil at the moment and as I mentioned Mets uh, capable of causing problems they'll have to watch out for Farid Boulaya and his uh, his set pieces he was superb in that victory uh, over Lorient and uh, it's very close at the bottom and uh, Lorient have dropped into the bottom too with uh, with Saint-Étienne now so um, yeah Mets will feel that they've perhaps got nothing to lose going there bit of a free hit 
and uh, maybe a good time to to play Leon uh, down at the bottom. I mentioned so Saint Etienne twentieth, Lorient and nineteenth. Now Lorient lost in the cup. They've now lost eight games in a row, seven league games in a row. Um, and on Wednesday they're playing at home to Paris Saint Germain, which you know is not ideal. It certainly is not ideal. But Robbie, you might remember last season um, that great run from Terra Moffi. Uh, brilliant counter-attack and Lorient defeated. It might have been, was it Pochettino's first defeat? I remember Pochettino's face on the sidelines when uh, Moffi ran through the whole PSG defence and, and, and made it 2-1. Lorient won that game. Can they do it again? No. <laughs> um, to put it, it simply, it, that, was a, that was a spectacular afternoon. The 3-2, Paris leading with 10 minutes left to play. Having come from behind, I think it was Abel Gell, scored the former Marseille man, scored his first ever professional goal uh, early in that contest against Paris. But look, that was that was when Lorient were playing with a certain swagger at home. I think they'd gone, they've now gone some amazing record. I mean, you say eight losses in a row, but their home form, which was always their strength at the start of the season, they were, they were not necessarily winning away, but they were winning at home. They were picking up points at home. And I, I ask you the question, guys, what has happened there at Lorient? Because they, they have players that, I mean, I know they didn't set the world light last, last season. They, they always looking and they're a club, a small club from provincial France that look to stay in the top flight, but they're a well-run club. They have good fans. They have a strong identity. What has gone wrong? Because the wheels have well and truly fallen off. It's like a, like a Saint-Étienne, like a, like a mess. I mean, it's, it's crazy that above them, it's so competitive, so difficult in this league. And there you just have three sides that have just fallen away. Yeah, they were fifth. They were fifth in, uh, I think, the middle of September. They they were looking good. And we were impressed mm. with this sort of 4-4-2 system. They had uh, Loriente and uh, and Moffi looking very sharp in attack. And they could spring forward. Um, and it, it's all gone wrong. And Christophe Pellissier is really cutting a very sort of isolated figure at the moment. Um What's gone wrong? Again, you know, I've, I put all the tough questions to Robin. So I'm going to throw this to Robin. But... <laughs> Um, you know, confidence is shot. I think Loic Ferry, the uh, the club president, um, is having serious doubts ab- about his coach. I know certain decisions have been called into question. The fact that uh, Enzo Luffet, the the homegrown youngster, hasn't been playing more. Um, Pellissier has been getting a lot of stick for that. Um, what is it, Robin? Is it a case of they were perhaps overperforming a bit earlier in this season and now... Um, now the confidence has gone. They're just uh, they just can't they just can't get a grip in in matches. I mean, I think if you if you said the confidence, and I think that's particularly evident in Terry Moffy this season because he was so devastating at times last season. Mm. Uh, they've now only scored fourteen goals in eighteen games, which is the worst in league arm. Um, and, and clearly, that's an issue. If you're if you're scoring less than a goal a game, you're going to be in trouble no matter what league you're in. Um, so yeah, that's that's clearly a major problem. Uh, on top of that, they've had some pretty chronic injury problems in recent weeks as well. I mean, their defence has been absolutely decimated. Um, they've been missing Fabian Lemoyne in re- uh, the last two or three weeks, and Jeremy Morel has missed a whole lot of the season. Morris Jens, who they signed in the summer, has been out recently. Um, so they've had a really inexperienced defence, and I think if you if you combine that with uh, with a lack of confidence, it's just an absolutely toxic mix. So I don't think it's necessarily that big a surprise that they've been on such a horrendous run uh, at this point. I think Christophe Pellissier is an interesting character. 
and not to point the finger at him, but he he was he was the coach that brought Luzanak up to the second division all those years ago, only for it to to fall foul of the courts, and they never got their their promotion. It was a village of five hundred people outside of Bordeaux that got suddenly promoted all the way to to the second division in France, and then and then relegated because they didn't have a stadium. They just weren't considered big enough to actually be in Ligue 2, something which was then overturned on appeal, and uh, but it was all too late. But then he went to Amiens. He brought Amiens up all the way, brought them up to the top flight, but then the wheels didn't exactly fall off, but, but it didn't work out for him there either. Now another chance at Lorient, a good start. But, and he I, took them up, took them up, didn't he? Yeah, from, from and Ligue he brought 2. them up. Yeah. So there, for me, there are, there are coaches that are great at, at certain things like bringing sides up, like doing things with the smaller side with a back to the wall budget or, you know, coming up, but maybe not at the highest level. It's not, or it yeah, hasn't but he's obviously good. I know it's, he's obviously good though, Robbie. And there is this kind of tendency nowadays that as soon as you have your first bad spell and yes, it is mm. a very bad spell. The coach goes, but Policia, you know, you, you just mentioned the, the, the work he's done. He seems like such a progressive, intelligent manager. Um, it would be nice for a club just to stick with him. You know, even if Lorient go down, just show yeah, maybe a bit you're right. faith maybe to you're these right. guys, yeah. and I mean, but maybe he just needs to know. be given that experience to go through a rough patch in in the top flight and bounce back. Then maybe that's maybe you're spot on. That's exactly what what they need. Yeah, to stick and with and, him. and I think I think Robbie, I'm, I I wasn't going to have a good girl this morning, but um, <laughs> I'm going to have it. So I'm I'm, I'm going to have a little rant because French coaching it, it it does get my goat a little bit. So here we go. Oh, quel bande de chèvres! Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about Saint-Étienne, Pascal Dupra. I, I was watching, so he's just been appointed after Claude Puel sacking. They're currently bottom, uh, Saint-Étienne, 12 points. They've still got a chance, only three points from, uh, from safety. And I was watching his press conference. He's funny. He's really funny, Pascal Dupra. He is very much crossed between Harry Redknapp, Sam Allardyce. Uh, I don't know, throw in a couple more. You know, he's got all the one-liners. He's a great motivator. Um, but guys, we've got to look outside the box a little bit we've got to stop recycling these coaches nothing against him personally um but you know he is very much from the model of we need to be bien en place motivated everybody get behind the ball let's just defend and you know you you, you heard him talking uh, already saying you know we've got to we've got to sit deep we've got to deny teams space that's the way to do it and you know maybe that is what Saint-Étienne need to survive maybe I'm not sure um and maybe he can pull off a rescue mission. You know, he he did it. He did a, an incredible job with with Toulouse. But I just get a bit tired of it. You know, I I, I we got so we got who, who who's fighting at the bottom? We have got Frederic Antonetti, Pascal Dupra, um, any, yeah, any other golden had, oldies? But this this season we've had Michel de Zakarian just uh, turn <laughs> everything on its head with a, a spectacular breast side winning game after game. We saw. Uh, Antoine Combouare's not come from two goals down to 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 win last week. I agree with your sentiment, though. I think I think it's uh, but occasionally, you know, horses for courses. Occasionally, these guys are, are coming out and doing something special. Yeah, maybe. I hope I hope Laurent Batless uh, and Trois uh, get rewarded for 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 trying to play football, for trying to um, to do things a bit differently. They they they've only got sixteen points. They're four above above Saint-Étienne. Um, big fan of the Clermont coach as well, uh, Pascal Gastien, just because uh, he, uh, 
he is a total football fan. I mean, okay, Clermont is not quite total football, but he he worships Ajax. He called his son Johan uh, after Cruyff and Johan Gastian. captain. Has, and made him captain and he's been Claremont's best player along with the striker Mohamed Bayo um, this season it's going to be a fascinating uh, battle at the bottom um, Robin Pascal Dupra got a win he got a slender victory in, in the Coupe de France at the weekend bigger tests coming up on Wednesday night uh, against Nantes do you think I, I get passionate when I talk about Saint-Étienne because I, I find them a bit you know they're such an incredible club they've got such incredible support and I find it always a bit sad that um that they come up short, you know, apart from those few years when, when Christophe Galtier had them getting some, some great results they're, they're often a bit of a sorry story. What do you reckon Saint-Etienne this season? Uh, they're a mess. Like you say, it's, it's a sorry story in, in terms of the ownership and, um, uh, and what's happened on the field. There seems to be far too much or not enough experience there. Uh, not enough quality in the team. Um, I, I guess he liked a bit of direction under Puel and, you know, they, they deserve to be bottom of the league at this stage. Uh, and they can't afford to get two. I mean, you said they're, they're three points from safety. They're, they're close enough to, to still survive, but they really need a, a big turnaround from, from Duprat. Um, whether he's capable of it, we, we showed, he showed it to lose, obviously, with that incredible comeback in the second half of the season, that, that he is capable of somehow masterminding that. Um, but they're going to need all his motivational uh, attributes and, and qualities to to be able to do that. Um, it really looks like a, a team that needs a big a big kick up the bomb. Absolutely, Robbie's um, frantically gesticulating at me because he wanted to talk about PSG. And uh, maybe <laughs> since Robbie's not been on the pod, we haven't given them enough in, in, enough love. Um, I was listening to Kylian Mbappe's interview this week. Uh, his kind of message was where. We're way clear at the top of the league. We're in the Champions League last 16. It's been a good first half to the season. Has it? Has it? The results have been good, Robbie, but has it been a good first half to the season? Obviously, yes, obviously. But yeah, yeah obviously look, it's about it's about the fact they're not playing particularly good football. And uh, it was the case again against Monaco last time out. They play well in patches. They take advantage mm. of opposition uh, mistakes. But there's no, but there's, no, there's no playing philosophy. There's no style. No, but this is, this is a, a big question, a big debate matter. I don't think there are there are too many clubs that play with a distinct style in the world. I think the, the probably the best ones in the world do the likes of Manchester city, Liverpool, um, Bayern Munich, Clermont, Bas- Clermont and the, the Gastian boys. But uh, it, I'm, I'm trying to work it out. And I come from it from a, from a, a try and look at it from a PSG perspective rather than just a critical They've got all this money. Why aren't they playing the best football in the world? Because I don't think it works that way. Um, and I, I also think, you know, you've, they are, when you, look at the, when you look at the statistics, when you look at the results, when you look at everything, what you just said Kylian Mbappe has been saying is the same thing Mauricio Pochettino has been saying in press conferences for the last month as well, which is we're top of the league. We're going through in the Champions League. If, if they beat Lorient, which I think they probably will, they'll have, I think it's going to be 48 points at the midway point of the campaign. So they're on track to equal the highest ever points tally in the history of Ligue 1, which is 96 points from Laurent Blanc's um, last season in charge at PSG. An incredible total, which no, which Monaco got close to in, in 2017, but no one else. Well, the question really wasn't about the results. To. It was about the so, playing style. Yes. Okay. Well, Chelsea just won the Champions League last year without having a, a, a strongly defined playing style. Paris Saint-Germain made the Champions League final 
two seasons ago, made the semifinals last year. This year, do do they need to? Why do they why do they need to have this divine defined playing style? The last time they had one was under Laurent Blanc, probably, who I thought they were a fantastic side to watch, but they never made it past the quarterfinals of the Champions League. And you know, I think this is a a debate where it's not do they have a defined style? Can they get this side to play well? Should they be playing the best football in the world? It's they have Messi, Neymar, and Killian. They should be scoring and winning five by five goals every single match. Paris Saint-Germain also have excellent midfielders. They also have excellent defenders. Marquinhos can be man of the match several times. Kaylor Navas or Donnarumma can be can be man of the match as well in matches. They have brilliant players all over the park, and maybe it's just going to be these individuals that win the matches. Whether it be Marquinhos, whether it be Killian, whether it be Verratti, whether it be Donnarumma. And we just have to accept it, no? Surely, but surely, at the sort of the highest level, the Champions League level, that's not going to be enough. You need a team. And but they made the Champions League final two not, years not, ago. Not under this team, though. That was, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking yeah. about. A I mean, I understand. Yeah, I understand that. That was that that, that black Thomas Tuchel, get... Robbie, who <laughs> won it with Chelsea. Yeah, that's right. I've, I've heard of him. Yeah, exactly. But then last year, semi-finals as well. Even if yes, they were outplayed by Manchester City. Over two legs. But you say, Robbie, teams, I don't know. I mean, I watched them. Maybe I shouldn't judge too much that game away to Bruges. But Bruges, they had a proper coherent playing style. They outplayed PSG and uh, should have should have, should have have won that game. I know PSG thrashed them in the, uh, in, in, in the second game. But do you not feel that this season there was this, you know, intention to play with uh, very attacking fullbacks? They signed Hakimi, Nuno, Nuno Mendes. Um, and and actually, they were wide open quite a lot of the time at the back. And Pochettino has just kind of veered away from that and said, listen, let's just have an, a block of eight players and let the front three do what they want. Um, and that should be enough. And I could do that, no? I mean, Pochettino is better yeah, qualified yeah, yeah. than me. He he could be doing more than that. Yeah, except that if he goes all out attack and, and they get knocked out in the last 16 by Real Madrid in the Champions League, then it's going to be the end of his tenure. Well, he doesn't have to do it saying... against Real Madrid. I'm talking about the 38 league games he has to play, you know, and and, and, the, and that people are paying good money to, to go and watch. And I'm not saying they're having a raw deal or anything, the PhD fans, but yeah, it would be nice to see better football, no? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I agree, but I don't think you can criticise the fact that they've made choices and play a certain way and the results are there. I mean, yes, we want to romanticise football all the time, but the bottom line is the results are there. And if it, if it means going to the semi-finals and losing a semi-final of the Champions League while still winning the league and everyone saying, ah, oh, but they're never going to win it like this, they're never going to win it like this, you know. That's surely based on a big presumption that they'll beat Real Madrid, though. Do you think they can beat Real Madrid playing like this? I think they can because they have Kylian Mbappe and he can do whatever he wants. They have Marco Verratti, they have Marquinhos, they have Donnarumma, they have these individuals that can, on, on, a, on a night, do it. I mean, they knocked out Bayern Munich, who were a superb side again last season. And it, yes, it's a big slice yeah. of good fortune, but of course, any, anything can happen. Well, we should enjoy these PSG uh, tactics while we can. <laughs> the, uh, the, we've got, the we've got Kylian Mbappe tactics. So it's what, it's 12 days now until he's allowed to sign for, a, for another club, a pre-contract. So I thought, I thought yeah, uh, look, Leonardo came out and said that it, was, that it was all good, that Kylian might be staying. <laughs> yeah, Leonardo. I wouldn't trust him with... Um, wouldn't trust him. What's, what's the expression as far as I could throw him? Listen, um, what, what I think is good is that Robbie's still, you know, he's the other side of the world, but he's still like desperately, <laughs> desperately defending his Parisians. So, you know, it's, it's, 
it's good to hear, Robbie. Um, we're going to bring in our, our Deja Who. Now, the Deja Who has been carried over, by the way. Um, it's been carried over to, to the new year because we want to give you guys a little bit more of an opportunity. And Robbie has come up with such a, an incredible clue. Um, if you think you know the answer to this, we have had some, um, some good uh, stabs at it, by the way. People who've emailed in, league1podcast at gmail.com or using the hashtag uh, Deja Who. On Twitter, this uh, this was the Deja Who clue from last week, and it is still the clue this week. Famous hairdos have always been a feature of footballers from my homeland, but when I arrived in France with a big reputation, it was my peachy fashion sense that raised the most eyebrows. I was the jewel in the crown of a princely revolution, but in my first season, it was a teacher from Chasselet that cut short my dreams of world domination. After spells in red and blue overseas. I made an all-conquering return to Ligue 1 thanks in large part to my partnership with the new star of French football. Before leaving France in 2019, I even fulfilled my dream of captaining my country and scoring at a World Cup, even if it was my younger former teammate that shone the brightest of all. Um, Robin, without saying the answer, do you know the answer to that? Uh, I think I can give it a good stab, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, feel free. I mean, you don't have to because you're 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 a you're a pundit. But feel free if you want. I did it once actually. Email League One Podcast at gmail dot com. Um, our producer Ian Holyman was uh, pretty surprised to receive an email from me. But but you can. We're all allowed to enter. Um, we're going to wrap up. Uh, you mentioned the the PSG Real Madrid contest. That's one of a host of um, exciting European fixtures uh, coming up, and. Um, We've got six French teams through to the knockout stages of the European competition. And I think that brings us nicely into my New Year's resolution. Um, so, Robbie, if, if you're OK with this, we'll, we'll, we'll play the, the New Year resolutions now. We've asked everybody from the uh, Le Bourgeois team to, to record um, just a quick snippet of what they're looking forward to next year. So if I may introduce myself to start with, um, I think I'll do that. Hello, this is Matt Spiro. I hope everybody is well. I'm very excited about the new year. I think 2022 is going to be a brilliant year for French football. We have six clubs still in contention going into the knockout stages of European competition. It's not often we can say that, but there are some really good teams in Liga and Uber Eats at the moment. And you know what? I think they've all got a chance. Even Lille, who have been drawn against Chelsea, I think they can cause problems to Thomas Tuchel's team. Realistically, in terms of going a long way, perhaps even all the way, PSG, why not in the Champions League? Monaco and Lyon have got real quality and they could at long last end this jinx of French clubs in the, uh, in the Europa League stroke UEFA Cup. They are both good enough to go all the way. Rennes and Marseille in the Europa Conference League, of course they can win it. It could be, it could be France's time in Europe and uh, whatever happens, I can't wait to see those ties. I think French clubs are, are strong at the moment and I think they can um, give a very good account of French football in the coming months have a, a great festive period cheers hi everyone this is Ian Holyman what I would like to see from 2022 Ligue 1 Uber Eats is the coaches continue to play with the handbrake off they've been so much bien en place that's to say well drilled beautifully organised 
but at times quite frankly boring teams in the decade we've been commentating league and football with coaches steeped in the tactics that won France the 1998 World Cup. A similar style did work for Didier Deschamps in Russia in 2018 too, but his French top flight counterparts have, for the most part, become more adventurous and we've seen some great games this season and not just from Paris Saint-Germain but teams like Brest and Lens in particular. Long may it continue. Hello there, this is David Crossan. Jonathan David has had an amazing 2021, 22 goals already scored in Ligue 1 Uber Eats this year before the midweek games. Only Kylian Mbappe has scored more. And what I'd like to see in 2022 is a real battle to become top scorer in the division. David currently leads with 11 goals ahead of Laborde and Bayo and Mbappe and Ajork and Benyeda with nine. And I'd really like to see that go down to the last day of the season with David in with a chance to dethrone Kylian Mbappe, who I think has had far too much going his own way uh, in the last few years in the top division. So let's see how that goes right down to round 38. Happy New Year to all League 1 fans. Now, I'm told this is the time for resolution, so here's one for French football. Can League 1 please win a European competition in 2022? Now, it's not the easiest resolution to keep, but it's been a quarter of a century since a French team won a European Cup. I just about remember France in 1996. Bordeaux fans were raving about a kid called Zinedine. A baguette cost five francs, and a thing called the Minitel was all the rage. A quarter of a century is too long, so good luck to PSG, Lille, Monaco, Lyon, Marseille and Rennes. You've done Ligue 1 proud so far. Bon fête to all. Hi everyone, this is Andy Scott gearing up for the last lot of Ligue 1 football in 2021. What I'd like to wish to everyone in 2022 is good health of course, first and foremost. I'd also like to see a brighter future for a couple of French football's great names of the past. It's been a difficult few months for six-time champions Bordeaux and for Saint-Étienne who've won the league more times than anybody else still. The prospect of both being relegated at the end of this season is a real one. So let's hope they can get their respective houses in order and start moving in the right direction again because that could only be a good thing. I'm also hoping the banging in the flat above me will stop at some point in 2022 so I can get on with having a peaceful life. I'm looking forward to this year. Uh, given the time difference, I'm looking forward to a change of time where I'll be able to stay up a little bit later and watch matches here in Australia rather than getting up so early in the morning. Um, no, more than that, I, I would like to see uh, Paris Saint-Germain obviously continue on their winning ways and finally get across the line in Europe, lift the Champions League with or without a solid game plan, with or without uh, a strong playing identity. I think they have a squad, one of the best squads ever assembled in world football. I sincerely hope that they can, they can put it together and, and put on a crowning performance for French football as well in Europe. But that is honestly my, my New Year's resolution, my New Year's hope for 2022. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, Robbie, you were going to say you, that you're hoping Messi could score more than one league and goal in, in the second half of the season. But, we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if he can do that. Um, Robin Berner, have you got anything, anything in particular you're, you're hoping for or looking forward to next year? Yeah, so, so uh, Robbie's gone from the top of the table. I'll go from the bottom of the table. Um, I really want to see San Etienne stay up. Um, I think they're such a great club, like we mentioned earlier. Great fans, um, just such a historic team in French football. 
And obviously the, the, the derby they have with Lyon is, is such a spectacle. So I really want to see San Etienne stay up. And they've, they've got pretty close links to, to, to Scotland, don't they? Uh, historically, they've had some big games with Rangers. And of course, the, uh, the cup final, the European Cup final was played at Hampden Park. And what's quite funny, I don't know if you've been to the town of San Etienne, but there, there, are, there are all these reminders still. Of, of that cup final, Le Poteau Carré, uh, uh, the square post that Saint-Etienne are convinced uh, jinxed them because the balls came out off those off those squared posts. Um, there's a bar called Le, Le Hamden. They've got they've actually got the posts now in in in, in the museum. So th- yeah, yeah, yes, it's such a great story as well because you know the links are great and um, it's obviously become such a part of the town it's such a fabric of the of the place which is such a great footballing town as well so it'd be great to see San Etienne stay up they've done well to get anything from the from from the Scots and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this but to to have, to have managed to get the goalpost from Hamden that's a pretty good effort um so <laughs> well done yeah, absolutely. Look, it's going to be it's going to be an exciting end. Do do make sure you uh, keep abreast of all the action this uh, this Wednesday night. Ten matches coming up, and then Le Bourgeois will be uh, will be back. Of course, uh, in the new year, the new season is starting. What is it? The eighth of, of of January. We're getting back underway. Round twenty of the season. Yep, there's the round of thirty two of the Coupe de France on the first weekend before that, before the Ligue 1 returns as well. Yeah, so we we'll be back, be back on till after that. We'll be back on, on, on Monday the 3rd. Oh, yeah, why not? Do you want to be? Let's do it. <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you, Robbie. I do uh, wish you all the very best. Have a great Christmas. Robin, uh, you too. It was great to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. And, uh, cheers, Robin. Thank you to all of our listeners around the world. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing you uh, the uh, the latest from Ligue 1 Uber Eats throughout the year. We'll be back again in January. See you again then. All the best. Merry Christmas, everyone. Messi again, this time maybe Messi's done it!